hello there. Hey, it's your host, Kevin Pollack. Welcome back to my Mrs. Maisel pod. This is the podcast episode 34, uh, otherwise known as Caroline, Aaron, and I, part two. If you didn't hear part one, go back to uh, episode 33 of this here podcast. As I mentioned it ended clunky, and this next one will begin clunky because I had to make it a two-parter. And when that happens, we didn't record it as a two-parter, so I must pick a little spot and then cut it right there. And then it ends weirdly, and then this one begins weirdly. But thank you for coming back. Um, I'm going to be reading one of your emails a little later. Do you write to us? Please do. Questions, comments, suggestions for guests. Or anything else you'd like to suggest. My Mrs. Maisel gmail.com. But now, let's get back to part two of Shirley and Moish breaking down the season finale of season three. Enjoy. And then we're off to a, a set that we've not seen before. It is specially um, used for this moment. Uh, and it was a practical set, and it's a barbershop. And it's Reggie and the fellas getting haircuts. Susie's in the background uh, glued to the radio. We don't know why yet. Uh, Reggie and his friends slash underlings are getting trimmed up, and he's paying. He makes it clear. Right. Uh, I just love this scene. I love when the show shines a light on a part of New York City's world right. that the Weissmans and Maisels aren't privy to on a daily basis. No, we would never intersect with them. Yeah. See a scene with all African-American men sitting in those rows. We don't that know was, from this world. No, we don't know from this world at all. And and the other thing is that about this episode in general was like, that's an example. There must have been 20 men in there. Any other show, there would have been four. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's right. like, you could tell this was not only a place to get your hair cut, but a place that a community gathered. Yeah. You know, you could just feel it. This was their watering hole. Social club. Well, you know, and they they always made everything so lush. Yeah. So filled in, you know, oh, so great. Yeah, so, so we find out Susie's listening to a prize fight on the radio, and um, and Reggie wants to uh, catch up, sit down, have a sit before the tour. He schools her on the life managing talent, and actually says the words, "It's a strange job managing your another person's career. You think you're so important, and then suddenly you're running around Utah looking for the kind of toothbrush shy likes." Yeah. And they give Susie the reply, who the fuck listens to Shy in Utah? <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but it's great. just a beautiful exchange. Sterling K. Brown is so exceptional. Everyone knows it. So exceptional. To step into our world and own every scene he's in with such emotion and such depth. Yeah, and also... you. It's his relationship to this job yep. versus Susie's relationship, yep. which the whole series will play out. You know, he's sort of saying it's thrilling and it's also kind of shitty. Yeah. The, you know, somebody's shadow all the time. And Susie never, ever, ever felt that. Yeah. Never. 
Um, we do get a genuine uh, reason to be concerned for Susie at the end of this scene when the prize fight goes against her wager and Reggie's who has to pay $10 and then talks his way out of having right. to pay for $10. Your future depends on your next decision. He says to the gentleman he bet with uh, who lets him off the hook. And then well, I also love when it's clear that Susie has lost money in this fight and a goodly amount of it. Reggie's instinct is to say, how much did you lose? What do you need? Who can I call? Let me take care of this. It was so beautiful, right. so magnanimous, um, and, and and wholly unnecessary. But it was well, just- Well, it gave me the impression that he thought it was doable. Yeah, and I sure. the impression that she bet the ranch and she didn't want to say. And it's not her ranch. And with That's, whom, yeah. You know, I, I got the impression from the way he was asking her is, look, no reason to sweat it. What do, what do you need? You know, yep, yep. but I don't think he, I guess, per, and you would know about this too, Kev, I guess professional gamblers or people who gamble all the time don't bet more than they can afford to lose. Well, and they don't put it all on one horse. You know, yeah, you definitely don't want to put it all on one horse. That's a sucker's bet. The rule is never bet more than you can afford to lose. However, you have to feel something. So you've got to come to the edge of oh. what you can afford because you've got to feel something when you win or lose. And unfortunately, oh. the psychology of gambling is that it's the weird devastation of losing when you've come to the edge that is more impactful and ultimately more intoxicating than the win. The win is more intoxicating in the moment. The right. haunting that follows the lose, the loss, um, is what ultimately stays in the bloodstream and makes yeah. makes uh, addicts out of um, a fondness for the game of risk in the game of chance. Um, yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy and 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 wonderfully portrayed through through Susie as as this um you know this other side of her we didn't that's it, right you know they're trying to enlarge the universe within the world right that's right that's right well they're going they're going deep not wide in that moment nice. do you know what I mean yes and and also it was so economical Kevin we don't know who she's on the phone with. We don't know why she's listening to the TV. We don't know how much she put down and we figured it all out. Yep. It's all in the words and the performance. Yeah. And sure Amazing. enough, she goes back to her apartment in the very next scene. Jackie's there and she sits in a chair and she, as you said, cries. I know. And it is a uh, un uncontrollable sob that's been building maybe her whole lifetime. Yes. And it's an abject fear in her tear-drenched eyes that's the most unnerving aspect for me. And her whole character has been built up to be somebody who takes an obstacle and turns it around. That's what she's sold herself to Midge as. There is no obstacle we are not going to overcome. We're just going to get around them. And all of a sudden, here's an obstacle she can't seem to 
And I'll go back one beat to the gambling conversation. What does happen to all gamblers is, in terms of this this crossing the line, right rule of never bet more than you can afford to lose. When you do, and they all we all do, cross that line, and you have that uncontrollable sob, what have I done? Right. It has to have been with an amount that for some bizarre reason, we never played it out in our heads. Geez, as we're making the bet, what would happen? What's going to happen to me if I lose this bet? I actually lose. We're only thinking this is a sure thing. That's why I'm betting it. Everyone knows this fighter is going to devastate that fighter. This right. football team is going to destroy that football team. Well, you get the saying on any given Sunday says, no, no. So we never walk through what could possibly happen if this doesn't go my way. Right. And when That's it does. Right. That's right. We see in right. her eyes and her performance and her tears, she was not at all prepared for this outcome. Not at all. No. And you know she's not crying just over money. You know, it's a bigger cry, as you yeah. said. Oh, no, I don't think she's crying over money. I think she would have been stiff upper lip if it were just about right. Yeah, You can always get money from somewhere, but yep. it's what she may have destroyed. Yeah. She's so terrified about. Yeah. Um, And then we're off to the tea room because let's please not leave Maureen out of this season finale. My goodness, she has a burgeoning business. Um. And there she is working her magic for Corinne. Yeah. And and Rose seems is surprised. Is this when the business is born, Kevin? Is this when the business is born? This woman comes over and said, you did it. You did this wonderful thing. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I got the impression that it was there that Rose thought, oh, I can actually quantify this and make this into a business. Right. When she said, and I gave your name to all these people. Yes. You know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, this isn't just me saying to a friend anymore. Right. You know, you should meet so-and-so. It's like, you can feel the the adding machine in her head. I can do this. I can do this. I can make something of this. Right. This could maybe be a payday. And she, in the very next scene, puts that uh, thought into action at the hospital right. where she finds Dr. Benjamin. Right. The clueless audacity of Rose to try to fix up Dr. Benjamin shows right. you, talk about gone in deep, how deep Rose's uh, character has found her calling, enveloped Again, yes. also does not think it through. How badly could this go for me? Right. She's just thinking, who do I know that's eligible? I'm yep. going to put them together. And he comes up in her mental Rolodex and she just follows through on the impulse. I mean, yes, the words, you know, the, the woman's very tall is one of the sales pitches from Rose to right. Dr. Benjamin. You're she's tall. tall she, you're tall. She's awkward which is weird you like weird um but still 
it is much like Susie in the previous gambling moment of just not thinking this through. Right. The not downside. And as Dr. Benjamin points out, you don't, you shouldn't feel obligated to look after me. I'm going to be okay. Right. He thinks it's a gesture of kindness. Yeah. 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 Right. Exactly. Oh, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. She goes all in. Yeah. She puts all the money on this horse and boy, it's not going to return. And the very next scene, we're out on the New York sidewalk as Abe st strolls the avenue, uh, dressed wonderfully, until uh, a tomato strikes him right, and, his, right. and, and his damn terrific outfit. Right. Not just one tomato, but several. And he's thrilled. Yeah. Again, I, surprise. Yes. I don't know if you talked to Tony about shooting this um it was as unenjoyable as, oh, you, I'm sure. as you would imagine just i'm the, absolutely sure just the mess just of the it. target yeah. just imagine this is your job just stand there and be a target and who knows how many tomatoes they went through yeah yes and and i was pressing him on were some of um, the tomatoes more firm than others i mean was this a proper beaten and I could tell it was just the mess of it. Yeah. That he was uncomfortable with. Yeah. And then uh, for that to turn around into confirmation for him is so great because you yeah. don't think that's, again, the element of surprise. You think he's being attacked. He's going to be upset. It is, uh, it's messy, which is never his favorite. Yeah. It's a, he is, this is a character of great order. He's a, he's a mathematician, you know, yeah. and all of a sudden there's this disorder all around him. And the big surprise is he's thrilled. As we learned in the very next scene, when back in Shirley and Moish's home, when he tells Cheryl, uh, Rose, we were fighting. Well, it was more of a free form grapple than an actual fisticuffs. But right. Moish was wrong. His father should have opened the goat farm. The written word is going to change the world. That's powerful stuff. And again, you're right. They're going deeper, not wider. That's the next scene where he goes back and tells Rose what good things have happened to him. Yeah. So he and Rose are also on parallel tracks as far as they're concerned. Yes. In terms of, they are in a phase in our story of reinvention, right. both of them. Yes. And this whole season will end with Midge's character, being tasked with reinventing herself. Yeah. Um, speaking of Midge, we see her and Imogene walking through Central Park as they talk and walk through this historically gorgeous park on a perfectly gorgeous day. Midge attempts to encourage Imogene to let Archie back home. So right. this is this wonderful side story yet parallel story you mentioned to Midge and Joel. Um, and it's kind of amazing because from this, we're on the back on the New York City sidewalk as Imogene. And also, you know, Joel had also encouraged Archie. Yes. To don't end up like Midge and I. And Midge is sort of doing the same thing with her. Yep. Don't be stubborn. You know, uh, this is a man that loves you. Open yourself up to that love again. And, and she couldn't do it. And 
I think in this next scene, when Imogene ends up walking into Catherine Gibbs school, yes. it's yes, Midge inspired Imogene. That's right. But not in the way that she maybe intended. Right. She inspired her with her ability to be an independent woman. That's right. I want to point out, though, in that sidewalk walking scene with Imogene, I think for me, it's a Mrs. Maisel first because we see as we see suitably dressed folks walking down the avenue in slow motion, yes. eventually giving way to Imogene, who strides with a touch more purpose. All to Nina Simone singing Feeling Good. Uh, but that slow motion walking on the sidewalk, I don't remember ever yeah, seeing. I never saw that before. You're right. And in it was the show. so great. Stunning. Stunning, yeah. stunning choice and execution. And the next scene is at Catherine Gibbs School and Imogene arrives at the reception, declares her name. And we now know her true purpose as well has been decided. Mm -hmm. Back to the button club. Joel's at the bar and Susie walks in. You've seen that you mentioned at the top um, and the awkwardness for both. She needs a drink. She shares the horrendous news about her inability to look after Midge's money and the reason she gives Joel that only he should uh, look after her money. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And when, further, he, when she says, yeah, you know, you you see he's struggling so hard to move past Midge. He has May, he has his club. And here comes Susie when he says why. And she says, because you love her. Yeah. And we'll always be in love with each other. More than all, the rest of us. Yeah. Also, you'll never let anything bad happen to her. Right. Um, foreshadowing to a season finale, uh, a series finale. Um, but in this scene, you know, we saw her crying uncontrollably and that level of acting talent comes through uh, for Alex Borstein in such a way. But in this scene, I'm going to double down on that compliment by saying her ability to play the emotional uh, range of this character um, puts her at the top of, of the talent list in such a way over and over and over and over yes. again. There's such great talent on this show in every department, including the actors. But every now and then, Alex Borstein is, is allowed to show and challenged but to show this emotional depth that is not in keeping with the character. No. No. Yeah. Not at all. Is it, you know, we've come to know her as being impenetrable, and tough as nails. And when she walks through that, when she walks into that club, it's, you can see that, you know, her whole life depends on him agreeing. And, and she's not going to apologize to anyone, but she is going to, she is going to own that she doesn't have the capability. Right. And it's just a beautiful thing. Speaking of a beautiful thing in an acting clinic, what happens at the stage deli in this next scene from Zachary Levi's performance? Sure. I'm telling you, um, his performance in this scene should be an acting clinic that is taught in universities around the planet. And the creating and delivery of those words that he is given should also be taught the world over. Yeah. And also 
the thing that's also I remember about this scene is it starts off where you see that like all of us feel this as actors, you see like one of those could happen anywhere today, anytime, the coffee shop where everybody's gathered around as part of a community, just having shop talk, really enjoying each other's company. You have that in common, you're all performers and into that balloon that's really lifting off comes Benjamin. Yeah, and good point because it, it it also may be a first that we've seen Midge with her cronies of the stand-up right. comedy world. They've been sort of nuisances and competitors in the, in previous episodes. But she's found her people. She's found her community. You feel it. Yeah. You feel that she has another family to belong to. And they're sort of celebrating her going on tour, I think. I think That's that right. was, yeah, one of the... That's right. It's her launch. And man, does he come in guns a-blazing. Right. He's coming in hot. So blindsided. But uh, yeah, I had Zach Levi on the podcast and we talked about a lot of things. And I threatened to bring him back to talk about this scene. And I must because um, it's it, it, it just extraordinary. I mean, it's written so beautifully as a monologue. That and it also it does, again, it uh, buries the exposition, but it's all in there because we don't see Midge break up with him right now we find out how it, that all went down yep you know when you find out he got a dear john letter she broke an engagement that way yep you know and we don't really know that until now and then the fact that amy ends the scene with that line you should have seen the ring it was really great yeah and you mid know? saying i bet it was yeah yeah it, it it it's a monologue I think actors should look at if they're if they need to audition for something and they've been told to bring a monologue. It's that fucking good, and it has that much range, and that much oh, power, yeah. and that much sadness, and that much. Yeah. Um, and he's not going to make himself open to her ever again, or anyone, or anyone. Yeah, he comes in very guarded, like you know, please stay out of my way and my life. Yeah, he gets to say the words, you broke my heart, words we've heard and seen said so many times throughout the history of the art, performing arts. And man, oh man, does he make it seem original. So good. Yeah. So good. Um, and so again, in this episode, which keeps happening, there's this moment of joy of them yeah. all sitting and then it just gets blown away. Yep. Blown out of the water. And where do we think Midge is going to take to next after this moment. well i guess it's logical but i was surprised she storms her mother yeah house. i was very surprised by that i Mid didn't know back at moish and shirley's home and midge comes in hot rose is on the phone and i was confused not confused but when midge is really going after her mother you know marin was so stony like for the first time, you know, usually, you know, if anybody says anything to her, she becomes like a nervous wreck, this character of Rose. If she does anything wrong, if she, you know, if anything is out of place, you know, all of that kind of stuff from her appearance down to the way the table is set for the rabbi. And all of a sudden her daughter comes in and is just ripping her a new one. And she's very still. Maren is very still. I thought it was incredible. I agree 100%. And I think 
the genius once again behind the writing is Rose's intentions were not bad. They might have right. been subconsciously, but on the surface, as far as she knew, she wasn't trying to make up for something that her daughter had screwed up at all. Right. She was actually looking after the young man. That's right. Trying to be helpful. Absolutely. And applying Absolutely. and applying and, her and, wares. And of that scene, you know, after she's had this terrible fight with her daughter, I mean, and she is so in the wrong, but she doesn't even acknowledge that. She just gets on the phone and continues her business. Oh, how about these words they gave Marin to say as Rose, when Rose finally gets a moment to defend herself? She, in the middle of that, says, and yes, I do feel that comedy and prostitution are one of the same. Right. <laughs> Sadly. Ah, preach. It's a stunning a scene between two extraordinary actors once again. Oh my God, it was so, and I've never, and we never see Midge like that. I don't think in any other scene where she also is out of control. She's so angry. And even her face, I was like looking, it, Rachel's face changed during that scene. Yeah. And again, she was not the dolled up, you know, kind of celestial being that we're used to seeing. No. And again, all made possible by one of a kind world-class writing. Mm -hmm. But back to the brilliance of Amy Sherman Palladino as a director in this next scene, it's Catherine Gibbs school, but it's Imogene and so many others as a okay. stunning shot uh, and piece of directing as we establish Imogene is now a great student of typing. As her apparent theme song. As far as the song. eye can see, yeah. sitting at typewriters. Yep trying to improve their typing skills. It just, is, it tells you. And these are the women who are going to have agency over themselves at that particular period of time. Yeah. These are the ones who crawled out of the their domestic obligations in some way. And it just goes on. It was so beautiful, that shot. Yeah. It was beautiful. I could not get over it. Yeah, I remember being very, very young. My mom was a, a what we would call now stay-at-home mom. But, you know, this was the 60s. So she was quote unquote, a housewife, went to typing school and ended up having a job, the same sort of thing um, with small children and became restless and said, I, I need a little independence here. Yeah. And it was a very impactful moment. Yes. In her life. And the fact that this is the outcome of we now get to, we pay off Rachel's advice to her. And how did she take her advice? She decided to get a job. She did not decide to let Archie come home. How about that? I know. Um, next, we're off to the exterior of the Apollo. It's the night. Midge and Susie have a moment out front. Midge arrives just in time, of course, looking like peppermint candy. And Susie explains she can't stay. Um, and it's not an awkward moment. It's almost like a little surprised. But, you know, Susie just says... I got something I got to do. And, right. you know, Midge understands. And we go inside the Apollo and we open on the, what I assume is the Nicholas brothers. Yes. On stage. Um, I looked up and watched dancing. The, the YouTube video of these two genius dancers, tap dancing in particular, became wow. their sort of um, a calling card. Two of the best that ever lived um, and recreated magically at the actual Apollo. 
at the actual Apollo, exactly. And we should just give a shout out to the choreographer because yep. cumulatively in five years, there's a lot of dance in this show. A lot. You, you know, you are not wrong. And she took, that's right. I didn't know that was the Nichols brothers to begin with. And then we get to meet moms, right? Yes. Oh my God. Wanda Sykes. Whoa. I mean, I remember mom's mate. Do you think that was her real words, Kev, that they licensed? Or do you think they wrote that? Uh, um, Either is possible. It would probably be a, a uh, legal matter. I feel like when they recreated uh, the for the season finale of the previous season, season two, of Lenny Bruce on Steve Allen singing All Alone, that was a word-for-word -word recre right. recreation. So and they that, would pay for the right to do that, and I didn't know if they just bought this from her, you know, her vault, so to speak, yes. and got permission to use it because it was so good. But my God, Wanda Sykes was good. Whew. Truly. If not magically. Um, now I'm looking up in the credits. Oh, right. Whether it will say those were her words. No, for the choreographer. You're right. This needs to be a credit that we give. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, and she's very close to Amy. Um, Marguerite. That's it. Is her name. See, yeah, we are two of the characters that never danced, so we never had our time with uh -huh. but everybody else did. Yeah. Oh, ain't that true? Um, Marguerite, truly exceptional. Let's see if they give her credit in the opening season opener. If you remember that absurd number in the uh, airplane hangar. Oh, my God. It's got to, she, Marguerite's got to be in here. Oh, yeah. Uh, assistant choreographer, Kelly Allen. Where's the choreographer? She would be in the front credits, I think. She's always in the front credits. Well, she should have been. I couldn't agree more. I think she is. Um, but, yeah, look her up and check her out, folks. Many people know. When we did our big promotional <clears throat> Fifth Avenue taking over a mile stretch with a pink carpet on Fifth Avenue in front of Saks and took over five windows, which had never been done before, I was told. And they had <clears throat> that historical dance number that took place out front. It became, um, you know, not just memes, but internet uh, creative yeah. content to the point where people were re- uh, imagining if not replicating is the word i'm looking for replicating those that exact dance number oh. and putting it on tiktok and every other version of tiktok um yeah. of uh every age shape and style of human doing that number that's marguerite's work um all right so nicholas brothers to mom's mavely uh doing some stand-up um, but first, Midge is backstage and meets up with Reggie. And we learn all about the food made for artists. And, and Shy would never touch it. Please eat this. Um, and that whole 
backstory of this is made by the neighborhood who loves him and it, it can't go untouched. It has to be easy. Yeah. And the one woman even comes up and introduces her niece or daughter, and, you know, clearly wanting to have her be introduced to Shy. And so great. Midge goes into Shy's dressing room and they have a brief conversation. Yeah. It's not a long conversation because soon, soon into it, Midge hears over the speaker system that runs through the dressing rooms. Mom's Mabley is on stage. And she goes and stands in the wings and the dancers gather also around her and they watch the great. And man, oh man, does she demand and command that room like nobody else. Um, you know, Amy never shot the audience in that particular moment, which right. I found it it stays on moms and usually when you see scenes like that even in when it's real you'll see the performer and then they'll flip so you can see people reacting to the performer and i was so glad she never left her yeah i wanted every second with her yeah that's becoming more and more of a thing in shooting comedy specials you establish the you stay the, with the talent yeah you establish the crowd before before and during the artist's entrance and taking the stage and then once the artist goes into their act, you stay on them from seven different camera angles, but you stay on the artist. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Wow, I loved that. Um, Reggie, well, first Mom's Mom's that comes off stage and it's it's an awkward moment between her and Midge when they meet, which I just love. Right. Long-standing thing between performers. There used to be a gag because you, as a comedian, doing a comedy club where it's just one after another. Right. You'd be standing backstage or in baseball terms in the on deck circle, waiting for your, your on next. And as the performer in front of you came off stage, if they killed. Right. They had a moment with you where they passed by you and the really good sold performers would say, they're a great crowd. Have fun. Mm. And, and the other 90% would say, follow that motherfucker. Oh. Or a version of that. Yeah. And then it becomes, you could even drill down between comedians, a fun, playful moment in that when the one coming off stage and the crowd is going crazy. Right. And the one waiting to go on next, go get into that toe-to-toe -to -toe moment. And the one who had just come off stage will say something funny to lighten the moment. Right. Um, or playful. The one I would do is, I would, you know, usually the comedian waiting would say, you know, great job, great set. So as they're doing that, I'm staring at their the middle of their forehead and then I look back into their eyes and I say, uh, you're going to have a lot of fun. I look back to their forehead and, and then I say, oh, shit, let me get a towel. Hold on. As if, <laughs> as if something's gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, clear. it's a playful okay. little exchange that happens all over the world. Right. Um, and so this is not a playful exchange. And Mo Moms wants her manager or whoever's looking after her to, to go easy on Midge. And says, uh, paraphrasing, it's going to be tough enough for that white girl. You don't right, need, exactly. You don't need to pile on. But Midge is shaken by it and lets Reggie know. And this is such 
a powerful moment when Reggie, the way he looked after Susie, looks after Midge in a loving way. Absolutely. And gives her historically worst advice she'll ever receive. Yet. Yeah. Which he explains later, he made an assumption. Right. That she didn't know about. Yeah. She knew about. But he gives her great advice. As a performer, I will tell you that in that setting, you do wonder, what the hell am I doing here? And when right. someone who knows the setting better than you says, here's what you need to do. You are so grateful for that advice. <laughs> and she takes it to heart beautifully. And once again, Amy and team write the most beautiful monologue. Oh. And um, it's just monologue. She destroys, monologue. she kills in an authentic way. Absolutely. And the opening line being, first, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, again, a pretty long pause for this show before she starts talking. To allow the drama to build and allow the audience to get restless. It's so important for this dead air moment. Yeah. And then she opens with, do you think you've just seen a ghost? Which yeah. is so hilarious. Yeah. And and Rachel was so brilliant in that scene because unlike other things that we've seen her do as a comedian where it's a set, it's something that's polished and practiced. We know this is off the cuff. She just found out about this. Yeah. It's from her very first performance in the pilot. It's what she right. does best. That's right. She has. She's an instinctual performer who can read a room and take the stage and talk about her life. Yep. Or yep. what's yep. happening in the moment. And in the middle of this incredible performance, we cut away to the exterior of Susie and Tessa's childhood home. Oh, right. Uh, it's so great. Um with Alex and Emily, Burgle, out on the boat um, as they're committing a felony. And they're oh, in, this, yeah. in this rowboat watching their childhood home burn down to the water. How beautiful was that shot, Kevin? Extraordinary. How did they get that? Did I they know. burn down the house? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is extraordinary. Yeah. And I want her. Not from the back of their heads, where we're looking at the house in flames. So amazing. And it almost looked romantic. Yeah. This yeah, that and last. Then, and then the dialogue and the way they said it, it was almost like a love song when Alex said to her, Thank you for committing a felony with me. Yes. You know what I mean? So beautiful. So funny. So great. Um, and then back for the rest of Midge's monologue and her introduction of Shy. And his number is crazy great. We talk about choreography. Uh, the dancer, Rajane Patterson, is the dancer kicking it high, higher than all the others on stage before Shy begins singing. I wanted to give a shout out to that dancer. She was so exceptional. Uh, and forgive, forgive me, Rajane, if I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly. Rajane Patterson. Um, yeah, it's beautifully choreographed and directed and shot. Um, McConkey doing his thing, of course, and lit so exceptionally well. David Mellon and, and Leroy, where you feel like you're watching somebody, you know, who's a star. Yep. This, you know, he's a concert singer, right? What would you call Shy Baldwin? Is he a concert singer? Because he's not a cabaret singer. Oh, no, it's concerts. 
Yeah, he's Johnny Mathis. He's absolutely Johnny Mathis. Yeah. And the way his, his body moves in the way. Oh, I mean, it was so sensational. One of a kind voice. Oh, yeah. And worldwide popularity. Wait, is that Johnny Mathis's voice on the track? No, it's another singer. Um, that my episode with Leroy, Leroy gave a great shout out to that exceptional talent because he, Leroy, went in during the recording session to watch him sing. Um, wow. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, now we're off to Midge's new home, her old home, her new home. She waltzes through her empty apartment that she has acquired from Moish. Um, but then we're out to the one of my favorites, and I love you to death in this scene. It's the interior exterior. Um, and it's, uh, I'm trying to remember. This was shot before we they took our home onto a soundstage because of COVID. Right. This was shot, right? It was. And, we were outside. Yeah. Real and, place. Yeah. And you're out in the middle of the street. And I can't imagine what the neighbors thought. Because they would gather on the edges of our production right, perimeter. And perimeter. Right. <laughs> yes. And you're out there screaming to beat the band. Do you remember much from that day? Anything you, you could just Oh, yeah. I remember that, again... This was all chaos yeah. that was so incredibly organized. Yeah, I mean, talk about choreography. People coming down the stairs, you being on the lawn, me coming in, me going out, her going out, the kids walking in and out. You know, oh, it was, and Amy was determined to get it a certain way. Yep. It was never going to have a cut in it. Never. No. And I thought, wow, how is she going to pull this off? Because really you're in two places. You're on, the, you're outside and you're inside just to give the momentum of this move you know, yep. and also and also to tell the story of how many clothes these two women have. Oh, God. Um, of Rose and that that is, you know, part of their identity. Right. Is getting all those, you know, and part of our identity is not wasting money. So you have both of those things. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're just, I remember at one point during that scene, I don't think it's in there anymore. I went in to the cab's cab and right. said turn the meter off right right i turn it off and they were like what do you mean and um you have to stay here but you gotta turn the meter off because i have no idea when anybody's coming out right because one one of the kids is missing yes right they're looking for ethan you're screaming ethan up and down to beat the band that's right that's right and abe gets the call when from the village voice get off the grass which is so hilarious <laughs> you know it's new grass get off the grass <laughs> yeah and as I said, Abe gets the call from the village voice. Right. During all of that. And then yeah. when to be the theater critic, right. She sets up that whole thing for next season. Yeah. Great. So, yeah. And at the cacophony of that, the, the, the in, lunatics and inmates having taken over the asylum, it really is all spectacular. And it was one of those days when, you know, most of the main cast was together and, Right, which was really fun. Yeah, we all cherished those days so much. Oh yeah, and um, all kinds of uh, logistical headaches for the crew, who oh works so much harder so than we hard do. For them yeah, to shoot that. Oh my god. I want to compliment them. And we all. did it a lot of times, Kevin. I don't know if you remember. Oh, it was endless. Hours. 
Because Amy a, wanted it just so. Yep. Yeah. A lot of moving parts on that exceptional crew to make mm-hmm. that to make that scene. All of our season finale was in that scene because the next scene out on the tarmac is um you know it's the most sort of earth shattering of any scene let alone season finale the show has had i already knew what was going to happen and i was shocked yep you know what i mean that's it just landed on me again i went they're not going i couldn't believe it so much of it is in the power of Sterling K. Brown's performance, the the emotion in his eyes when he tears up with this horrible news, and the devastation that hits Alex and Rachel uh, in those characters that they must feel. You know, an actor's number one goal, I imagine, <clears throat> right neck and neck with never get caught acting, is to be present. Yes. Be in the moment. And yes. when you're doing these scenes over and over and over, the task, the talent, the technical education of an actor comes to to the forefront. Are you yeah. capable of making this look like this is the first time you're getting this devastating news? You know, when Sterling says to Susie, who is so devastated that she can't fix it, he said, um, you'll be in this position many times. I was it seems so generous to me you'll be right here yeah this is not the end of the world it just feels like it yep there'll be more end of the world and the logic also in the words so beautifully written you know when rachel pushes back we're friends you're not friends right let me talk to him no i can't let you do that but you told me what to say yes i did tell him that no i won't right um i know more than you at this moment yeah 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 the same way that Sterling is so generous to Susie, Susie then pays that forward to Midge. Yeah. And they're both equally devastated. And then when she says to her, it's going to be okay. Yes. I'm trying. I've way- been trying. I want the listeners to know for weeks and weeks and weeks to get Sterling on the show to talk about this. And I will. I will succeed at this one way or another. I have his cell, yeah. his email. I, we just I can't seem to connect. So... But I do remember hearing, I don't know if you remember hearing or heard at the time, that the weather did not cooperate and they had to reschedule the tarmac shoot. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah. And he was shooting This Is Us. Oh. And it was not easy to reschedule oh. that. Yeah. So we'll get we'll drill down on the details of that in a later episode. But Great. this season ends on the tarmac and um, a shot over the two of Midge and Susie watching that plane take off and the rest of their in their future take off. And their, you know, their, their, their plans, their plans are on that plane. Oh, yeah. And her success and her affording her new home back. All of it is going up in the air. Right. And um, us like them are forced to just watch right. and, and feel the devastation. Just feel, oh my God. Yeah. What a cliffhanger. Yes, one of the great cliffhangers. Honey, and I cannot the- thank you enough. Now, wait, I forgot to ask you at the top of this, 
What yes. movie are you allowed to talk about? The movie you were shooting when I first reached out to you for you to to, to do? Yes. That? Oh yeah, I think we are. It's called Thirty One Candles. Mm-hmm. Indie, indie. It's so indie. It's almost in India. I'm not kidding. <laughs> you but had anyway, to, yeah, yeah. It's um, rom com. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's a rom com, low budge, shot in Central Park all day, freezing cold. You know the usual. Oh my god. And um, I finished my part. And I'm doing this play and, you know, like we're all kind of reemerging. You're doing the play that I saw it when Jamie and yes, I loved and, you and, in. Yeah. And Brooke is in it. Yeah. Great. Oh my God. That's great. Because Joe Beth Williams couldn't come to New York. Right. And we're doing it until just January 1st and people seem to love it. But now it's like, you know, we're not holding scripts or anything. It's like, you know, a play. Yes. And that's when I hurt my arm. I don't know what I did. Ugh. Well, text me I'm later. Falling to pieces. We're text, falling to pieces. Text me later, honey, and let me know that everything worked out. I will. And you're coming in when? I'm coming in the day before. Uh, we're going to do a little press thing um, for uh, it's award season when we're recording this. It's officially begun. So I'm coming back yes. to New York for a little Maisel gathering and event. Um, and uh, the night before on, on the 6th. So we should all get together for dinner. And... I think I have a show. But you know what else is that? Um, this don't you're not recording this. Um, I don't know if we're going to be invited to the Emmys, meaning us. <laughs> Wait, uh, let's officially say goodbye before we get into that. <clears throat> yeah. uh, thank you endlessly, my darling. And to you. Love you so very much. We'll see you next you know, week. See you uh, next week. I'm so happy. Live in person. Yes. Um, love you, love you, love you. See you very soon. That's how you do it with Caroline Aaron. Love her so much. Can you tell? Can you hear the love? Can you sense it? Oh, we're going to have her back again and again and again and again and again until it's just Shirley and Moshe's podcast. Um, write to us. Let me know what you thought of that there conversation. My Mrs. Maiselpot at gmail.com. Questions, follow-up questions for Caroline or anyone else ever worked on the show or me. Uh, please, I'm recording this right before I see all of them again for the Emmys weekend and the Critics' Choice Awards weekend here in Los Angeles. So I'm about to see them. So if you have any questions, well, it depends on when you're listening to this. Yeah, you're right. That doesn't make any sense. But it shouldn't stop you. I can text them just as quickly, if not quicker. Mrs. Mazelpot at gmail.com. And now, in fact, let's let's open up the old mailbag, shall we? All right. Today's mail comes from Samantha, who wrote um, back in November of 23. Hi, Samantha from Fargo, North Dakota here. I'm really enjoying the pod. I listened to it in the early morning while getting my school ready for the day. I've been a longtime fan and absolutely adored all seasons, Mrs. Maisel. I have a couple questions, if that's right. The first is, being everything from the set is all from the 50s and 60s, how was it to go back to the present after filming each day? Well, isn't that a marvelous question? See what I did there? Mm. Well... I'm going to say 
hearkening uh, back. It was odd. Yeah, because you're in period clothes for 10, 12 hours with all the um, uncomfortable nature and what have you. And that was probably the biggest transition, uh, changing back into super comfortable clothes that you arrived to work in. And then being driven from the sound stages in Brooklyn back to the city of New York to where I was staying and seeing all the current present times therein. Yeah, that was jarring and weird. You're not wrong, Samantha. Great question. Question number two, Samantha writes, my second question is, with everything you've said about the table reads and how elaborate they were, what was your favorite and or craziest one they did, and for which episode was it? Keep up the great work. I'll be listening. Take care. Samantha. Thank you, Samantha. Um, weirdest one. Well, they were all super weird. Probably the last one. Yeah. And maybe the first one was my favorite, which would have been episode two of season one, just because it was the first and was also new. Last one was the weirdest. Because it was bittersweet, uh, wonderful, incredible celebration, and um, really super sad and exciting. A sense of gratitude I've, I've rarely felt, if ever. Um, yeah, pretty extraordinary. Thank you, Samantha, so very, very much. Um, tune in next episode. We're going to do another two-parter. I think the next two are with our multi-award winning. Just picked up another Emmy uh, for our final season just a couple of nights ago. Mr. David Mullen, cinematographer extraordinaire. Spoke with him at length about many episodes, many seasons. So we'll take a two-parter on that one. I think those are the next two. Okay. Well, until then... Please write to us again and again, my Mrs. at gmail.com. Thank you all very much, and thank you for telling everyone you've ever met about this podcast. Uh, and, you know, be kind to each other, please. And I will see you in my dreams. Okay, closing credits time. My Mrs. Maisel Pod was created by me, your host, Kevin Pollack, research writer, producer, Jamie Fox, and our engineer, recording, post-production producer genius is Ken Plume. My Mrs. Maisel Pod is brought to you by the fine folks at Q-Code. Q-Code. Sounds like something, doesn't it? Oh, lastly, you should know... I'm told by legal to make this crystal clear that my Mrs. Maisel pod was not sanctioned in any way, shape, or form by Amazon Prime, nor the show's creators Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino, although I feel the need to mention I did get their blessing. Okay, good. That should save me some legal.
Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale, it's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Everyone needs a break from the real world. That's why we played games as kids, and that's why we should play games as adults. I'm Troy Lavalley. And I'm Joe O'Brien. And back in 2015, we started a podcast called The Glass Cannon Podcast, a show made up of comedians and actors playing a fantasy role-playing game. And now is the perfect time to start listening because we just started a brand new story. It's basically Lord of the Rings meets Game of Thrones meets X-Files. Search for The Glass Cannon Podcast on your podcast app of choice. Hey, life is hard, so come play pretend with us.